I am Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at music's effect on our everyday lives. Joining me today from the New York City, New Jersey area is New York Times bestselling author Tom Vanderbilt. Tom writes on design, technology, science, and culture for many publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Rolling Stone, and the New York Times Magazine. He is an in-demand consultant and lecturer around the world and has appeared on many radio and TV programs, including NBC's Today Show, ABC News Nightline, and NPR's Morning Edition. Tom has written several books, the most recent of which is being released today, January 5th, and is called Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning. Congratulations on today's release of your new book, and welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Tom. Thanks, Mindy. It's great to be here. Tom, I am a huge fan of lifelong learning, and I was really curious to see what your book had to say about the particular benefits of being an adult beginner, even an old beginner. Mm-hmm. And of course, I want to talk about this topic as it relates to music. But first, this book came to be in part because of your observation that we as adults seem to send the message that learning and activity is for children, while we adults sit on the sidelines and kill time. <laughs> Tell us just a little bit about when you started noticing this and how it became the impetus for writing this book. Sure. Yeah, I'm the the parent of a lovely daughter. And like a lot of parents, I do want the, the best for her. And I was as she was growing up, I was intent, especially on things that I had never really learned to do that well or at all. I really wanted to you know sort of get her out in the world. And, and so like a lot of modern parents, I was taking her to many lessons and, and activities. She was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a helicopter, sort of a helicopter parent. She was probably overscheduled. But um, one thing I did notice, though, as I was doing all this is here were all these other parents also taking their kids there. And we were all just sort of sitting around. Sometimes I would talk to these people or, or sometimes they had things going on. But a lot of times people were just sort of looking at their phones and things like that. It just got me to thinking all this investment we pour into teaching and, and teaching our children. Could we pick up some of that energy and, and sort of focus. And, and wouldn't it be a good thing if we ourselves might learn some of those things? And mm-hmm. so for my book, I mean, the thing that got me into this whole thing was the game of chess, which, um, you know, thanks to the Queen's Gambit on Netflix yeah. is incredibly popular right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I was, I'd go to these chess tournaments that my daughter was in in elementary schools and, and, and just, you know, sit there for four or five hours. And I just started to dawn on me, like, it'd be kind of fun if we could, do this at the same time. So I didn't have a sense that I was wasting all this time, sure. essentially. And um, so that, that's what sort of got me into it and sure. unlocked this desire to learn a lot of things like chess that I had never really gotten around to doing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we all know why we don't tend to be beginners as adults. As adults, it takes us out of our comfort zone. We can feel embarrassed and insecure, incompetent. Mm -hmm. There's the stereotype that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But you make a strong case in your book for the benefits of learning a new skill as an adult. Tell us about some of those benefits. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, just from a sort of brain and body perspective, cognitively, the brain is really, you know, it, it, it craves novelty, it likes to be stimulated by new information. So I mean, information is great, reading books, getting new opinion sources, things like that. But then also, in my book, I focus on skills, because I really thought, as a journalist, I had been constantly a- a- absorbing a lot of new information, but I couldn't remember the last sort of skill I had learned, mm-hmm. kind of like real skill, and um, which, which is such a fascinating 
marriage of, of brain and body and, and the brain and body informing each other in all sorts of ways. So, you know, that, that that's benefit number one, just the health benefits, uh, all kinds of studies showing that doing new things can essentially make your brain think that it's younger than it really is. Yeah. Uh, and and I, actually, you know, I should probably back up a step and have you just mm-hmm. explain a little bit more what you mean by skill. Because as you pointed out, as adults, we are constantly absorbing new information. But you had a little bit more specific focus to your goals in terms of the, the chess, the swimming. You know, tell us a little bit more about how you differentiate between learning a new skill and just the constant absorption of new information that we do do as adults. Sure. I mean, and, well, skills, I mean, the, the, these run the gamut. I mean, we're constantly, anytime you sort of order a new, let's say, electronic, let, let's say you just got a new computer for, for the holidays or something, mm-hmm. you know, the, right there, that, that's a learning process that you're going through, unless it's something you've had before. Um, sure. Every day, you know, you go to the CVS and they've changed their self-checkout system. <laughs> it's just, every day we're being challenged by these things we haven't seen before. So we're all quite familiar with this process of of learning a new skill and learning how to learn a new skill. And uh, there, there's a, a book I like called Micro Mastery, which sort of looks at these all sorts of what I might call smaller skills, like uh, maybe driving a manual transmission, which, of course, there's not really a reason for most of us to do that nowadays. But mm-hmm. that would be sort of a skill. You know, it might take you a week or so and you could probably get it. But it, mm-hmm. but you're going through the same sort of process that you would go through when, when one of these, let's call them macro skills, singing, drawing, things like that, um, which, which to my mind are, are sort of never-ending skills in that I don't think I'll ever master any of them. Mm-hmm. I'm nowhere, nowhere near mastery. But uh, these are things that have many levels of engagement and sort of the further you go into them, the more sort of doors open up, the more plateaus there are, the more areas for you to explore. So, sure. you know, skills kind of runs the gamut. But all of us, I don't think there's anyone who's not learning some new, at least micro skill on, on a weekly, monthly basis. Sure. Yeah, I like that differentiation with the micro skills and the macro skills. So you mentioned already with the macro skills, the, the brain benefits. You, you say in your book, it's kind of like, a high intensity interval training session for your brain. <laughs> and one thing you mentioned too in the book on those same lines is that I thought was really interesting is that neuroplasticity that's developed by learning new skills didn't really seem to depend on how well it was learned. The brain just likes to be puzzled and learn something new. Tell us some more about that. Exactly. Just going through that process, I think, awakens, kickstarts the brain and the and this process of neuroplasticity, that which is you know reshaping these connections that we all have. And the studies that I've looked at, you know, shows that neuroplasticity doesn't really decline that much with age, which is which is a great result. I mean, it's a little simplistic to say that learning is going to be you know, as easy when you're 60 or 70 as it is when you're, you're, you're teen, there's, you need more than neuroplasticity, unfortunately. But, mm-hmm. but the good news is that that potential is there ready to be unlocked. You know, the brain doesn't, doesn't just atrophy. And, and of course, the more times you exercise that neuroplasticity muscle, the, the, the better it's going to sort of be. And so my book, I did about five skills and ended up doing a few more because I think skill learning is a bit ad- addicting, and once you unlock that that door. But um, the, part of the reason I did that, I wasn't really trying to do some kind of you know neuroplasticity boot camp, but I was just worried that I, w- I would get bored by one of the things I had, if I focused on only one thing. What if it what if it didn't really work out? And I, I was and I do have a short attention span, so I, that's why I went for these 
a variety of skills. But I, I found that very satisfying to be able to kind of jump between things and, you know, sort of be broad minded. Sure. When you talk about this virtuous cycle of skill improvement, where the more you learn, the more you enjoy it. And the more you enjoy it, the more you practice, the more you practice, the better you get. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just to mention singing, for example, in, in the beginning, it was it was pretty, you know, <laughs> Tough sledding, and um, I, I had a uh, iPhone app I was using called Pitch Perfect, which is you know one of these little training apps. That there's a wonder, uh, you know, wonderful number of these out there now, and these I find these very useful. But you, you could just kind of run through some scales, and it would give you a one through one hundred score at the end. In the beginning, I was sort of registering in, in let's say the fifties, sixties, and it was very discouraging. I was sort of you know I would put the phone down and, and walk away, and, and you know sort of want to give up. But then forcing myself to go back to it, suddenly you know, I'd hit 80, 85, mm-hmm. and just you could you could see this this progress happening. And, and that made me only the more eager to sort of get back to it to the point where I eventually would be able to hit 100. And that was most satisfying at all. Mm-hmm. And that just sort of just put me even more into the framework of wanting to sing. And that that's kind of the simplest form of feedback. It's not a, a vocal instructor right there telling you you're doing great, but just that numeric measure was, I found, very useful. Sure. Well, you mentioned, too, it's kind of addictive. That learning is kind of addictive. And some of the research that you talk about in the book does show that as people get older, they should do more Mm -hmm. to maintain Mm -hmm. their abilities. You do have to work a little bit harder, but the more new learning that older adults take on, the faster they seem to learn, the more their brains become like younger adults. Mm -hmm. You point out that learning to learn is like a lifetime sport. (laughs) I like that. Well, one of the other benefits that you mentioned before, the neuroplasticity and just the neurological benefits of learning a new skill at an older age is the benefits of novelty. And actually, you kind of touched on this. You compare in your book the the novelty of the beginning stages of learning a skill to the beginning stages of falling in love. Tell us about what's so great about that mad the magic of that beginning stage of learning. Yeah, I think you know, as, as with love, there's you know definitely sort of a neurochemical process going on there that just takes over your your body and puts you into a, a different state. And I I sort of felt the same thing going on with each of these skills I was I was launching myself into. I mean, it wasn't exactly romantic love. Let's say, don't tell my wife that it was a different <laughs> you know experience than that. Sure. But the intensity was a bit different. But but just that sense that your whole world had suddenly been changed, been expanded. You you you, you wanted to sort of plunge in with both feet, and every day you felt new. And this is what I was trying to articulate about that beginning stage when we talk about a steep learning curve, and people misconstrue this to think that something is really difficult. Oh, it's a steep learning curve, it must be. But that really just refers to, it's a simple sort of measure of of time versus progress. So if it's steep, that means you're making a lot of progress right away. And that that's often what you find in, in a lot of these skills is that the biggest gains come early. So it just mm-hmm. taps into the sense that you're, you're that kind of wonderful feeling that I, I'm changing myself. It's happening right away. I'm, I'm head over heels into this new skill. And there's been some interesting research that showed that when couples took on learning a new skill together, it increased their relationship satisfaction. And, and the, the theory was that, you know, the novelty of the thing they were learning, it reminded them of when they first met each other. Yeah. So they were able to take that, that charge and apply it to their relationship and, and kind of awakened a little spark that may have, laying a bit uh, dormant. 
Yeah. Well, in your book, you kind of compare it to, to traveling to a new place. And you just have these very heightened senses. It's like the sensory superpower where you're just noticing every little detail because it's so new. You know, the smell of the street food and the feel of the humidity that you're not mm-hmm. used to or whatever it is. And the more familiar, the longer you stay, the more familiar you become, the less aware you are because you'd become used to it. But that very first novelty moment, you just have this burst of neural activity. And that I thought was a great comparison. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, what what has been famously called beginner's mind, which comes from from Buddhism, and um, which I, I'm not I'm not a Buddhist, but the principle is striking to me. And just just the idea that the, the mind of the expert can become sort of weighed down with their own expertise. And and sort of similarly, the the weight of our everyday life, it can be hard to to look at the world with, with that that sense that we once had as children, and to, and to kind of go back. And how how do you do that? Is to plunge yourself into a completely new situation. And so you go to. I remember when I was younger, the first time I went to London. You know, this was back when they still had the British pound, and you sort you're sort of mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. is just wow. This, this currency is so strange, and oh, you have to. You have to look to the left when you cross the street. Otherwise, you'll get run down because you're not used to, you know, cars being on that side. Things like that. Yep. Um, and after after a few days, you're sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, London. Yeah, <laughs> been, been there, done that. Um, but I, I try to argue that, that there can be a – this beginner's mind can be a very powerful sense. And I quote a chess grandmaster who says that, you know, before you make – a move, try to think of it as if you were a beginning player and, and just approach the board with those fresh eyes. And uh, this is something that's not often so easy in everyday life, but taking on a new skill is, is just a wonderful way that that kind of forces you to see the world in a new way because you're indulging in something you've never done before. Yeah. Well, one of the other significant benefits that you talk about in the book that I found really fascinating is the benefit of self-renewal, self-expansion, kind of Mm. reclaiming identity. And you mentioned that this is called openness to experience in psychology. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those big five personality traits, which I had not heard about until, I don't know, sometimes sometime in the last year here. But now I'm hearing a lot about these big five (laughs) personality traits. So some of the other ones are extroversion, conscientiousness, neuroticism, and agreeableness. But the openness to experience has really been linked to longevity and cognitive flexibility that's useful in addressing a lot of life changes in later life. And it's like that openness to experience makes our world bigger and we are expanding ourselves. And so our world is getting bigger as a result. Tell us some more about this self-renewal, self-expansion benefit of learning a new skill. Yeah, I mean, like you say, um, well, let, let's just say, before I began this, uh, you know, there were all these things I sort of wanted to be. And and how how do you claim that you are something? <laughs> if you want to say you're a singer, you mm-hmm. know, well, is just singing at home? Is that enough? Um, I mean, maybe it is. But I had this sort of barrier in my mind that there were these things that I, I just couldn't do. And in the book, I talk about the first time I was looking at this choir I was interested in. This is, I've never been in a choir in my life, you know, after five decades of life. So I was looking at their website and I just, I just couldn't imagine myself as, as the, a person in this video. They just seemed to me like these incredibly talented people that had this sort of, you know, like a, a PhD after their name or something, you know, some sort of <laughs> qualification that I did not have. So, uh-huh. 
so I, I had to sort of put myself in the frame of mind where I could be a singer, and that takes a certain braveness or, or foolishness or foolhardiness. But um, I just sort of had had to do it. And openness to experience. This is one of these things that you can have that as a personality trait, perhaps. But I think you can also instill it in yourself. Mm, and one and of the ways you can, it. yeah, exactly. And and how do you do that? Just sign up for a class. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right, right there, you, you've you've let your your fate is kind of out of your hands. You're, you're not sure what the class is going to be like, what the teacher's going to be like, what you're going to do, whether you're going to be any good at it. But uh-huh. you've just, you're opening yourself to a whole new set of, of stimuli. And that's just, I would describe myself as, you know, fairly open, at least to, let's say, uh, intellectual ideas. And I, I was, you know, a, a learner and all that. But as far as skills, I, as you mentioned before, I was, I was hesitant to expose myself to be, to be bad at things, mm-hmm. which... In all these things, I was definitely not great in the beginning. So that's just a ritual process of humiliation going on here. But you know, I'll, but I, I just, now I just find it you know a bit addicting and, and sort of what what can the next experience be? It's not uh-huh. a, as I keep doing these these other things. So well, there's something very freeing about becoming comfortable with discomfort, and we tend to be such perfectionists and think we can't do something unless we're doing it really well. And we can kind of get locked into this self-judgment cage. Like I can't do anything unless I'm going to be good and competent Mm -hmm. at it. And I I think it's really freeing if you become comfortable with being embarrassed or asking questions that are maybe not real informed because you're brand new to something. Mm -hmm. Well, one other benefit that I want to make sure we talk about, because I loved this one, is the benefit of modeling something for your kids. I mean, I thought this was really insightful. You wanted your daughter to see you struggle and see you grow and get the message that just because you're not immediately good at something doesn't mean that you won't eventually get it. And you had a tip in there for busy parents to learn something with your kids. Like you mentioned, you're already taking your daughter to chess lessons or the chess tournaments. Why not learn along with them? And it gives you as a parent the opportunity to learn something from your child. And as a music teacher, I totally agree that you really integrate information and knowledge more fully if you have to be the teacher and explain it to someone else. So if you're putting Mm -hmm. your child in the position of having to do that, number one, they love that they get to teach (laughs) something to their parent. (laughs) But second of all, you're kind of getting double value for the lessons that they're taking because they're going to absorb that information even more if they have to turn around and articulate it and explain it to their parent. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I was a bit disappointed. I sort of tried to look for information or resources or studies about the idea of learning, you know, coterminous learning with your child. And, and what I was really getting back was just a lot of tips about how to better teach your child or, or how to improve your child's learning. And it, it, I just like there's this rich possibility out there that people aren't really tapping into. And kind of go back to what you were saying, there's a study that I love that had adult subjects trying to, I think, put some sort of like box together or something. And they had people who did it right away and then they had people that struggled with doing it. Mm. And the infants who watched the people struggle were then willing to, to spend longer working on the problem themselves. Mm. So, you know, when, when you, and this is the problem with trying to learn something by just watching experts is that there's, you know, there's not much of a learning process going on there. They've already yeah. learned. They, they just know how to do it, which I think is one reason why it's so great to be in classes with fellow beginners is that you can see that range of skill. You can, you can see other people 
struggling or being better than you, and, and you can sort of find your place among that. And it, it was really striking in the choir that I was in, someone who had to depend on, I was depending on other people, you know, the, for the first number of months, but then there'd be a new season would come along and someone else would come in. And I could then see that they were struggling with something I had once struggled with. Mm. And, and just that little, it gave me a little boost of like, oh, I've, I've, I guess I've mastered this a little bit. Yeah, um, it's confidence building. Yeah, exactly. And then and then trying to maybe explain to them how to do the part or something would, would then, like you say, cement the that process of doctors uh, do one teach. I, I'm forgetting what the the, the saying is: do mm. one teach, one learn, one. Um, sure, it's like a medical school staple. But um, well, there are many other benefits that you mention in the book. I want to tie this in a little to music before we mm. run out of time here. You don't have a musical background, I don't think, but your first two chapters on adult learning in this book were about music. And your dedication of the book, I was fortunate enough to be able to read an advanced copy of this book. Mm. The dedication is to my father for picking up the piano and sticking with it. And your daughter takes piano lessons. So tell us a little bit more about your relationship <laughs> with music. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I've always enjoyed it, loved it as a, as a consumer, uh, you know, a listener. And uh, it was even doing some, you know, pop music criticism in college. And I thought that's what I would mm. end up doing. And, you know, so but but from a very unskilled perspective, you know, not really knowing what it what it took to, to create music, not even not even knowing what an octave was, you know, n- mm. not knowing these fundamental things, not really, I was I was very, uh, I don't know what you call it, you call it enumeracy when you don't you're not good with numbers when you're not good with music. I'm not sure what that's called, but um, but yeah. So it's just, and this is a thing I talked about where not having learned an instrument when I was younger, I really felt like that was something I, I wish that I had done or that I'd been pushed to do. So I was keen on having my daughter do that. Not not that I thought she was going to be some you know prodigy or something, or that it would lead to some music scholarship. Maybe it would. Who who knows? But mm-hmm. um, just just to have that awareness, that hint of a skill set, and and just for the other worlds that it opens. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, and, it, and she's also, you know, pretty good with math. And I've read some interesting studies about your know, relationship between music and, and math. So who knows? And, and so I, I was sort of the missing one. My father, on the other hand, again, didn't have a musical background at all and was nothing in his life would really point to picking a piano. He's sort of a working class sort of blue collar person, not, you know, just, it's just not something that's that often done. Yeah. How and, old was he when he picked up piano? Uh, in his fifties, like oh, mid fifties. Okay. Yeah. So there's kind of a echo here and, <laughs> and, you know, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you, you know, he's not that great at all, but he just tries and does the lessons and has <laughs> grown and, and personally, you know, prospered by, by just those, those small achievements he's been able to make. So, you know, it's just, and this is, you know, something I think we're all, you know, kind of aware of, but it's just easy to lose sight of how anyone these things are really open to anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, some things are, you know, maybe a little bit more costly or, you know, but one thing I would like to point out is that you, you might read a book like mine and say, well, you had all this time and all this money, you're writing a book to take all this, all these lessons, these are expensive. And that that is true. But one thing that, that especially this year of the pandemic has really unlocked is that there are a lot of great resources available online, yeah. o- often for free, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying it's, it's, 100% foolproof, but you, you can really go a long way, yeah. in at least the, be- the beginning steps of something. Yeah, there's some a of these lot online resources. available mm-hmm. right now, definitely. Well, would not have you not having a musical background, how did your friends and family react when you started taking voice lessons and joined a choir? 
Yeah, they were they were pretty surprised, I think, um, and <laughs> and not. I'm not sure they really wanted to hear the results because I don't know. It's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of like telling someone about the dream you had last night. I mean, no, you know, to, to sort of sing to someone is. I mean, not that I was really doing that anyway. But 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 they were very good sports and came to you know some of these choir recitals I had, which turned out to be great fun. And um, but again, it was just kind of what we were saying about that self expansion, self renewal. It, it just suddenly gave my personality this new facet. Um, think about like these. My daughter plays, you know, this game Dungeons and Dragons. There are these these dice in there that have like different sides. So some are twelve sided, some are twenty sided. And I, I kind of felt like, you know, it was one of those one of those dice where I was I was sort of like adding a new side to my personality. And mm-hmm. and one, one thing I like is just beyond just being trying to be good at it is just, just having a, a little bit deeper knowledge of the thing mm-hmm. and being able to relate a little bit more. So suddenly, it, you know, trying to do singing has changed my whole relationship to listening to music, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. oh, how, you know, how, not, not just how does he, she do that, but how might I do that? You know, what, what are the choices that went into that vocal presentation? Um, it, you know, just, and then being able to converse with other people that are in that world. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, instead of just assuming it's too late, I can't do that. Music is an avenue that, that's closed off to me. Uh huh. And just to get in one, just to get in one little like you know, point that I've picked up from some people that make this point that mm-hmm. voice and music are often separated. You know, in terms of mm-hmm. yeah. well, there are voc- there are vocalists and there are instrumentalists, and sure. there are there are people that argue you know that that's a false distinction, and that so I, I would like to you know, join that crowd and say that <laughs> you know the vo- the voice is an instrument; it's the most intimate instrument, and it takes a lot of I think takes as much you know practice and and theory and technique as as the violin or, or piano. Sure. Well, and your book talks a lot about the many countless benefits of singing. And mm. in fact, you say singing together is preventative health care by other means. I really <laughs> like that quote. And uh, you talk about the importance and just that primitive connection that comes through singing lullabies to our children. Uh, I just need to read this quote from your book. And lullabies, you just feel the need to do it as if some primal door has been opened and this long lost language, this back channel to the heart, one that you wouldn't normally use with your friends or even your spouse flickers to life. Just love that. I could keep asking you tons of questions, but I'm going <laughs> to respect your time here. Love the book. Um, one other thing that I'll point out to people who are listening to this and thinking about, hmm, maybe I should try something new this year, 2021. It's been said that other than sex and food, there are few things besides music to which people are so compulsively drawn. So music, definitely a great thing to put first on your list to try in terms of learning new skills. Well, I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending. I call it a coda by sharing a song or story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Do you have a song or a story that you can share with us today? Sure. My coda moment was just a clip from uh, the choir that I'm in, which is called the Brit Pop Choir. And we, we do all sorts of things, but there we occasionally do a song from this genre known as Brit Pop, which in this case is the band Oasis, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. And it was a song called She's Electric. And I, I really just, I could have chosen any song, but I just wanted to get out how important and sort of vitalizing this this choir was to me. And in 2020, of course, 
I, like everyone else in the world, lost my ability to to connect with and and sing with with the choir. And I, I think going back to what you were just saying, there there's this powerful sense of connection. I mean, some people missed it so much they tried to start rehearsing again, perhaps too soon, and and were then you know spreading the yeah. coronavirus again because it turns out that. It's one of the most effective ways to spread the virus mm-hmm. is to re- rehearse for a choir together. It's sort of like a sick, you know, cosmic joke going on here. But um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that's the moment. And uh, the, again, I went from someone who could not imagine himself being amongst this group of people to, you know, really being one of the the, the most, uh, you know, fervent participants once once I get into it. And that mm-hmm. the kind of the zeal of the beginner often takes over and suddenly you're 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 like the biggest choir geek. <laughs> so that's that's my moment. That's a bit of the Britpop choir singing Oasis's She's Electric in January of 2018. There's a link to the YouTube video in the show notes. Thanks so much to Tom for sharing with us today and through his book, The Benefits of Lifelong Learning, of Musical Learning, and of Learning a New Skill as an Adult. We are never too old to reap the cognitive and world-opening advantages that come with learning a new skill. And as Tom's book mentions, studies show that the neurological advantage is not dependent on how well a new skill is learned. So you do not need to become a highly trained, award-winning musician for your brain to experience the rewiring and increased efficiency effects of neuroplasticity. Tom's book was released today. I highly recommend it. It is called Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning. There is a link in the show notes. As I mentioned in our conversation, I love Tom's tip for busy parents that they learn a skill along with their kids. I think this can be really powerful on many levels. It gives you and your children an activity and interest in common. You're able to fully appreciate the challenges and joys of your child's activity. You can model for your kids the value you place on learning new things and persevering through challenges and failure. It's kind of like an antidote to 
perfectionism. And all the better if your kid catches on faster than you and can coach and teach you as the parent. Your kid will love the opportunity to be the instructor to their parent, and it will solidify their learning. So you'll be getting twice the value out of the lessons you're paying for them to take. When Tom and I were talking about this, it reminded me of when I started taking piano lessons in first grade. My older brother and I and our mom all started lessons at the same time. And I remember my mom practicing the piano in the evening right after we kids went to bed. I always enjoyed listening to her play and thought it was really cool that we were all learning together. Today is January 5th. 2020 is officially behind us, and the new year is brand new. If you want to take advantage of this new beginning, or you're listening to this later in the year and want some more inspiration and ideas on learning a new musical skill, here are a few episodes you may enjoy. Episode 5 features the charms of the ukulele and why it is such a popular instrument across all ages. If you would like to refresh your skills or learn new skills and give back to those who have served our country, you can learn more in episode 15 about the song TAPS and its relationship to our military and also how you can volunteer to play TAPS for veterans' funerals. Episode 33 provides lots of resources for quality music lessons that fit your unique situation. And episode 48 features tips from a time management coach on how to make those musical goals and aspirations a reality. I would love to hear how music is enhancing your New Year's goals or plans. Let me know on email, social media, or my website. All links are in today's show notes at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 76. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your kickoff of a new year be enhanced with music.